if you have a business and it is in your five-year plan to to sell your rent roll, don't wait until you're tired of it and you've run it into the ground. Like do it while you're still actively working in it and you're vibrant and it's got a good reputation and you've got a good asset to sell. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. We're proud to present Courageous Conversations, a podcast series focusing on the tough decisions people have made to put themselves on a pathway to success. This episode is brought to you by Connect Now, who makes the business of moving easier for both you and your clients. For more information, visit connectnow.com.au. Please welcome your host, Leanne Pilkington. Hi everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the latest edition of Courageous Conversations and with me I have Kylie Maxwell. Kylie, how are you? I'm great, Leanne. Thanks for um, having me on today. Hey, it's an absolute pleasure. I always love catching up with you. Now you've had um, you've had lots of changes. I remember when uh, we ran into each other at an event down in um, in Canberra and you had just seemingly out of the blue decided to sell your very successful LJ Hooker business and all of a sudden... Um, I don't know. You weren't you, you weren't Kylie Maxwell from LJ Hooker anymore. No. Talk me through what happened. Yeah, well, it's look, it was one of those things, and you know, um the universe sends you signs and says you should look for opportunities. And we didn't we weren't on the market and we very much loved our business and what we were doing in our business. It was a very profitable business. We had yep. a really great reputation in our local area. And you had very um, strong market share too from memory, right? We did. We um we actually um I think we had about 30% market share. Oh, is that all? Okay, good. And um well, it could have been more. We did, I mean, Jason, my husband, he was he was the number one agent. I, I don't look at those stats. We just we I suppose we always just stuck in our own lane and did what we did and that was probably what made us so successful. We weren't worrying about what ABC Realty were doing up up the road. It was just us. Um, had quite a big rent roll just on um, just well, just under 700 managements. Nice, yep. Um, and a really great team with a great culture. Yeah. And um, we had a, a phone call from a, another agent in town who's an extremely um, good agent and also had good market share in, in one of the um, neighbouring regions and, he just sort of said, would you be interested in selling your rent roll? And we just went, oh, uh, you know what? <laughs> yeah, let's chat. And, it, you know, it's sort of, I suppose it hit, um, it hit around the first COVID lockdown. So 20, 2020. Last year, 20, yeah, 2021, I suppose. The first, first lockdown was 2020. 20, wow. Okay, April. It was, but yes. Oh, Mar- March, actually. March yes, that's, that's correct. And as you know, I think when that hit, we all went, oh, and then we realised, no, we're actually going to be okay in real estate. And so our business was booming. Um, you know, we, we certainly had a lot of cash flow. As I said, we had a really good team. We had great culture. We had great market share. But we thought, you know, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth, do you? Because is this opportunity still going to be here in, in five years' time? And, well, and there's also, there's, I guess there's been a lot of conversation around what's going to happen to uh, multiples for rent roll um, valuations. And yes. I don't, um, you know, I don't have any inside information on whether they're going to go up or down or, you know, sideways. But um, certainly there has been a bit of fear about that, right? So if you've got someone saying, here we go. Yeah, and, and I think also, I mean, we're in a regional area, so I suppose that's a little bit different from Sydney Metropolitan, but I think the landscape in property management is changing as well. Massively, and yeah. just, you know, I, I don't know what that means in five or six years' time, 
Um, and as you said, the multiples might change. But it was just one of those things that, and the other thing too is when you have a large rent roll, the pool of buyers is limited, especially in our area. Um, and to break that rent roll up, the retention or, you know, actually the loss in retention periods could have been a lot more. So the fact that we had a buyer that wanted to buy the whole rent roll at once, yep. we actually thought was a really great thing to do. So we spoke to our accountant and financial advisor and they said, you know what, why not? Like you're both still young, you can both still work in the industry, you can both still do what you need to do um, and you won't, you know, have the stress of a business. Yeah, exactly. So there's um, there's one very big lesson to people out there that are thinking about buying a rent roll. Don't wait for one to come up. Make your intention um, yeah. abundantly clear to people around you, right? Reach out, have those relationships. I think the other big lesson there is if if you have a business and it is in your five-year plan to, to sell your rent roll, don't wait until you're tired of it and you've run it into the ground, like do it while you're still actively working in it and you're vibrant and it's got a good reputation and you've got a good asset to sell. Because I think a lot of businesses, they do get to a stage where they're just like, it's all too hard, I'm going to sell it. And there's already staff leakage, there's already property leakage, the profit doesn't look great. So, you know, you've already run your asset a little bit into the ground. Yeah. So I think it's a really and I good think um, also make sure your business is sale ready. Because yes. people, um, uh, people don't necessarily know what that means. And if you don't know what that means, um, reach out. Um, Kylie's happy to tell you what it means. Oh, yeah, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely know what the solicitor for the purchaser looks at. Looks at. So, um, yeah. which is great. And, and it's it's really worthwhile doing an audit on your business, you know, to have it. So totally. Whether that's now or five years' time, definitely do that. So tell me this, is are there standard interest industry benchmarks for um, things like um, vacancy rates and um, arrears levels and so on and, you know, time to like maintenance outstanding and or there, are there any kind of benchmarking reports that people can actually compare themselves to? Uh, I think Macquarie Bank have some benchmarking reports and yeah. we could certainly get our hands onto benchmarking reports. Um, I know uh, before we did the, the transaction, the purchaser actually sent a valuer in and they actually did an audit on our business. Um, and it wasn't a matter of um, just looking at rental amounts. It was actually looking at all the files. So, you know, you can devalue your business if, you're pro if your property management is not run correctly. So if you don't have leases or ingoing reports yep. or routines, you know, um, or your arrears is not great, it will actually devalue, you know, your assets. So it is... It is really good, I think, every year to do an audit on your business. Yeah, I definitely agree. And um, one of the problems is, of course, a lot of business owners are salespeople, right? And um, and they don't really understand um, property management that well. It's something that we're building um, at Lang & Simmons at the moment is that kind of audit, like checklist for, um, you know, flags for fraud and so forth. You know, you would be able to look at that and go, hold on a minute, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Whereas a, a sales-focused business owner may not necessarily pick those things up. No, and I and I think look, that was the unique thing about our business is that my husband and I worked together um, and had done for twenty-five years, and he was definitely an income-producing sales agent. So 
Um, I did look after operations and property management, and I think that was very unique in in our business because it's not always the case. And, yes, you can bring outside people in to do that, but to have that um, business acumen and to know about the property management side of things as a director, it's really, really important. It is. Um, Because that, you know, we all work so hard for so long and do so many hours a week for so many years to build up an asset to sell that, you know, you are going to retire on. Um, yeah, you're not you're not um, you're not building up your rent roll to make money on the run through. I mean, obviously, no. you do make a little bit of profit on the run through, but it's really about building that long term asset, right? Absolutely, and there's different levers that you need to pull within the business to do that. Um, yeah. You know, and and also, I, I suppose from a sales income point of view, to make sure that collaboration is there between your sales and your property management team. So you're not losing potential sales, or you're not losing potential new managements. I think that's a really important thing. As so, yeah, look, it, it's you know, it, it's something that we think we did the right decision, uh, made the right decision by selling the business. Um, and I have to say, it was lovely over the Christmas holidays because ah. I didn't have to rush back to a business to Absolutely. start. Absolutely, yeah. And um, every time there's a thunderstorm, you don't panic knowing that all of the you're going to have all of these roofs. yeah leaking yeah. roofs and so forth. Yeah. Obviously, you are um, way too young to be thinking about retirement. So you've been in the business for what best part of thirty years. How yeah, did you? How do you then navigate actually getting a job or starting another another type of business? Yeah, look, I've always, and especially probably in the last five years, I've always um, given back to the industry and I've always got a real buzz out of it. So I knew that was a space that I wanted to be in. Um, and to be paid for it, I suppose, was a bonus. Um, I wasn't I wasn't driven by the income. I was driven by giving back and helping the industry. And from an outsider looking into the industry, you can see the gaps in the industry. Where, I mean, where? I, tell me where are the uh, gaps? I just I feel um, I feel when we do licensing for agents or registrations for property managements and CPD, it's very much based on legislation. It's not based on the day-to-day operations of property management or client relationships Absolutely. or investment. And so I think we've got a real, there's a real gap there in our training as property managers because the same course is done for sales agents and then we've got a lot more resources when they step into an agency. But when we're putting a property manager into an agency, they they haven't had that practical knowledge of doing a routine inspection or doing a condition report and they've got to learn on the job. Um, yeah, hope- which is fine if you've got a senior property manager who can teach them, but a lot of the senior property managers are moving around a fair bit, right? Yeah. And they're taking some less than ideal habits um, from from one business to another, and then they're te- it's. I can see it's a massive problem. It is a massive yeah. problem, and it really is. And we just, and I think we need to reimagine that. So when we're putting our property managers into a business, you know, well, we're reimagining it right now. So it's so funny that you raise that because. Um, we've identified that our property managers don't feel um, as connected to the brand as, say, our salespeople do. And I get it, right, because um, we don't um, charge fees on on rent rolls, on property management, and so we don't do as much support. And so there's just been a real disconnect. And there also doesn't seem to be, it's it's a job rather than having a a career path where it, it, it should be. Yeah, um, it's I, certainly I, not sexy like sales. It's, no, it's not. So we're building a new qualification called an investment portfolio manager. Yeah. Um, so instead of just being a property manager, they're learning 
the whole concept of um, investment and building a portfolio and helping their clients to build and maintain that portfolio. So, yeah, we're working on that right now. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's needed too because we are, we are moving to be more account managers or relationship managers. So, so it, true. You know, it's never about the property. It's always about the people. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we just, we don't train our property managers to think that way. No, we don't. Um, we don't. And we, we need to learn too. So that is obviously a leadership conversation. <laughs> um, and I think, um, I think that I am okay to call you a bit of an accidental leader. It was something that kind yeah. of you as the business grew, you had to grow into a leadership yeah, role. I, I think I probably winged it for 15 years, yeah. um, which I think a lot of leaders probably do. And it was because um, I no formal training in leadership or no. business management for that matter. No. Um, definitely winged all of that. Yep. I'm a pretty process-driven sort of person. I like to be organised. So that was in my nature anyway. And I'm a people person and I like yep. to please people. Yeah. Um, being a people pleaser, how does that work um, if you're also the leader? It doesn't. It doesn't at all. Um, and it was a hard lesson that I had to learn. So I, in my business, I um, I used to I, I used to think the way to keep my team was to make sure they're always happy and stress free. So that meant um, I would take all the hard stuff on for them. I would always say yes. My door would always be open. I would always be available. And um, it eventually just leads to burnout. Um, and, and it did actually for me when I was in my late 30s, it led to, it led to a, bro- a breakdown. Oh, really? um, and Yeah. And so then I was no good to anybody. No. Um, so what happened? I started experiencing panic attacks. And anxiety, um, couldn't actually go into my office, couldn't do anything. Oh, um, wow. How did that happen the, the first time that you realised there was a problem? What did that look like? Or uh, like? It was very, I was very overwhelmed. I've got two um, children and at that time they were, um, they're adult children now, but at that time they were um, in primary school. So I was also had a bit of mother guilt because we were doing a lot of long hours. So I make yeah. sure I was always you know, the manager of the football team, the rep convener for netball, I was doing canteen, was on the PNF and I was doing everything for work and being everything to everybody. And it just, it doesn't work. It, your body just says to you. Um, so the first time it happened was I'd actually walked to the Sydney Harbour Bridge and got a train to Town Hall Station. You know, the ceiling's really low in Town Hall Station. Well, I thought that ceiling was going to fall on my head. So I actually collapsed in the train station. And then that was that was the start of panic attacks and anxiety. So um, I did seek professional help for that. Um, and a lot of that had to do with then saying no. And no became a very big word in my vocabulary. And it was amazing. Nothing fell apart. Nobody disliked me. They found someone else to do the job and life went on. Yeah, that's really, it's, yeah, it's interesting. So the, the team didn't all up and leave because you weren't making things easy for them anymore? No, what happened was I pushed them into a, um, a zone that wasn't comfortable, but it was also a growth zone. And I empowered them to think for themselves. And it changed the whole dynamics of our team and our business. And then I did a little bit of leadership work um, on myself then as well. And life became a lot less stressful. You know, I think when you're a when you're a people pleaser and a yes person, it also feels good to get the acknowledgement for doing everything. 
because yep. and you're just like you know you're like oh yeah, yeah. it's like oh i've got to i've got to i've got to yeah everything's going to fall apart if i don't if i don't do this it's not going to get done yes and it, and the, the truth of the matter is it still gets done they just ask someone else to do it so i had but to it get doesn't comfort- always get done the way you think it should get done or the way you would do it so how do you no. kind of work through that so it's and i think and look that's a leadership thing as well it's not about dropping your standards but it is about setting your expectations and um you know you need to let your team know what you expect the outcome to be and then you need to let them run with it and I know. And then sometimes, you know, sometimes they fail and that's okay. You need to let them know that it's okay to fail. And, and so how do you, this is a really interesting conversation for me. How do you let people um, fail and then come back without you being, I told you so, like you really need to be doing it the way I told you to do it in the first place. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So I would usually sit down with that team member and say, look, that obviously didn't work. And why do you think that didn't work? And just a series of questions. And then it would be, so if we did if we did it this way, do you think it would work differently? So it's not me telling, it's just me guiding. Um, and then what we usually do is we write a process around it. And then it's not, it's the mistake doesn't happen again. They feel like they've solved it. They've been empowered by it. They've learned from the lesson. Yeah, and, and they've solved the problem and, and written the process um, with you using the yeah. learnings from them. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes I think it's um, our own high expectations that prevents us from getting other people to do things or delegating where really the client doesn't think that because the client still has the same outcome or they've been they've been dealt with. It's just not the way I would have done it. But yeah. the outcome will be the same. So I think you have to step back a little bit from, you know, from because you don't want to be a helicopter manager and telling people all the time what they need to do. You must do this because that's just like having an office full of minions. Like you actually want to create new leaders in your business. Yeah, so, yeah, I completely agree. I'm, um, but I'm notoriously hands off with a lot of things. I um, I'm, yeah, I don't micro, I couldn't handle it when people micromanaged me. So I'm either all in or, yeah. or all out. And I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the best way to do it either. But, um, you know, it is it is what it is. I used to get in the trenches with my team. So there'd be nothing that um, I would ask them to do that I wouldn't do myself. So I, I used to always, I never had levels in my office. I didn't have senior property managers. We, they were just all property managers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and it was really important for me to, you know, if reception wasn't there, I was happy to sit on reception. You know, if, if someone needed an outgoing done and they couldn't do it, I was happy to go and do that. So I used to get into the trenches with them. And that also gives you a good insight into your business. Yeah, um, definitely. I think it's really interesting. I did an open home um, for one of our offices needed. Um, they, they they just were COVID, COVID impacted like everybody. And so I went, I'm a licensed real estate agent. I can go and do a, I can go and do a rental inspection. No, I haven't done one in the last, I don't know, 30 years, maybe more, actually more. Um, but it, it is, it's interesting to go back into the, into the trenches, as you say, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. So um, for a so, little bit of time. <laughs> what do you think your biggest lessons in leadership would have been during your time in the business? I think as a leader, you need to work on yourself before you can and work. And so what does that look like? How do you work on yourself? 
So for me, uh, in 2017, I suppose that was a real pivotal time in my career. And I enrolled in a transform with Elite Agent. And oh, was, yes, you did quite well, I, um, I, I seem to remember. Well in that. Uh, I was a little bit of a quiet achiever because I just soaked it all in. Um, and at that time it was, I mean, they're 30 days now, they're very quick now, but at that time it was 12 weeks. And, and was um, that leadership or? It was leadership, yes. Right, okay. So I suppose you need to, um, you need to be open-minded and be open to learning and learn from other people in the industry that have walked that path but you still need to be authentic to yourself. So yeah, sure. there was some things in that program that, you know, we had to do or answer and I was just like, no, nah, this this is not this is not me. It doesn't meet my vision, my culture, my values. And so I was still authentic to myself. I, it wasn't just like, okay, because Leanne said you've got to do this, you've got to do it. you still got to find your own rhythm and your own leadership style because people can see through the BS if you're not being authentic. Yeah, and yeah. then they don't want to connect with you. So I think that was really pivotal. Um, and then after that, I realised that I needed to keep doing leadership learning. So um, I would do a couple little short courses here and there. Just How to do you re- decide what to do? Because I found um, leadership, uh, most leadership that stuff that I've read and watched is much more relevant for corporate big, big businesses and, like, you know, real estate, you know, it's lots of, it's almost like a cottage industry, right? It's lots of little corner shops. Even though some of the offices are getting bigger these days, it's still not big business. Look, COVID's actually saved me a lot of money because when I pre-COVID used to travel a lot and I was um, I was always one when you'd go to an airport, you'd go into the news agency and you'd look at the top 10 business books and I'd probably buy five books at a time. So my I favorite would, thing to do at an airport is go to the bookshop. <laughs> I know. I've got a as you say, I've got a bookshelf. Yeah. And so, and I would just pick and choose books that I thought were relevant to yeah. me, my style, um, and take little snippets out of them. Um, a really great thing that I did last year was a little mini MBA course. So it wasn't a, a complete MBA because it only went for a week. Oh, um, right, yep. But that was a really great course to do and it, and it talked about um, leadership and outcomes and strategies for the team. So I think you've got to always be learning as a leader. I don't think you'll ever know everything you need to know. And then a lot of it is what works best for your business. And you do have to do, um, yeah, what works best for your business. I certainly, I did an MBA um, years ago. And to be honest, I learned what they needed from me. So I don't think I was particularly authentic. I did well, but I knew what they need. I knew the outcome that the lecturers were looking for. And I, I framed my responses that way. Um, so that's kind of the opposite of learning how to be an authentic leader, right? Yes. And look, another thing I did in my business was profile my team. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't just great for me. It was also great for the team because I was profiled as well. And then we could yeah. see, you know, we could see exactly how how we learnt, um, what our, like, how we worked. How we um, behave how we, under pressure, I think, is yes. a really, like, and in conflict, I think that's a really interesting thing to learn yeah. about yourself and others. Yes, and how we communicate with each yeah, other, um, you know, and it was really, it was very, um, it was a great insight to my team. Which one did you do? Um, I actually did it through Agent Dynamics. Ah, oh, um, yes, okay, awesome. Yep. Yeah, and um, it was it was very good just to know 
Like there was aha moments in our in our session with her where everyone would go, oh, that's why she does that or that's why she does that. And you can also um, look at yourself constructively. Yes. To go, and then you and then you know you can pick yourself up on those things. You go, oh, I'm doing this. This is not. This is not for the the you know for the wellness and of so my. So how do you um, look at yourself? Our own impression of ourselves is coloured by our intention, right? We know what our intention is, but you know, I know what my intent is, but you don't know what my intent is because it's a, you look at me from the outside looking in, and I'm looking at the inside looking out. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so how do you actually look at yourself objectively? I think it has a lot to do with the culture of your business. Yeah. Because if you, um, I mean, I'm, I'm naturally growing up, I suppose it's come from my childhood and, um, and I've probably carried it through myself. I'm naturally, um, a critical person. Okay. And I criticize, but I'm aware that I do that. So if I've. If I look at the culture of the business and everyone looks a bit upset or stressed, I actually take that on board that I haven't actually um, communicated something properly and I need to step back and go, okay, how could I have done this differently? Yeah. You know, and I think you just need to be really honest with yourself. I mean, some bosses yell and scream. I'm definitely not a yeller and a screamer. Um, But, you know, some bosses do. And, you know, if you're aware that you're that type of boss, you need to sort of step back and go, okay, that's this is not serving a purpose for my team. It's not getting the outcome we want um, and we're losing a lot of staff. So you need to step back and go, okay, how can I do this differently? And sometimes you need to get help from the outside world to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah, that's right. And um, leadership, um, particularly when you're actively in the business, leadership is not natural for everybody and I think that's great advice, get some external help. Um, yeah. So what are you doing now? Given the fact that um, I've had so, um, I've got so much industry knowledge and property management operations and leadership is my thing um, and it works, um, I am now out coaching and consulting. Fantastic. So um, I'm actually working uh, with Fiona Blaney and her. Oh, we love Fiona. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. So, um, which has been, they've been super supportive and um, our values and our visions are very much aligned. So that, that is great. Um, mainly dealing um, with clients in ACT, regional New South Wales and the South Coast. Yep. Um, and, yeah, just going into businesses and doing coaching with them, helping them with their foundation, setting up of processes and procedures um, and just doing training to, you know, to help with their culture and their customer experience and 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 sort of and even a little bit of leadership training, doing some accountability training with their leaders um, and, you know, teaching them how they can support their teams correctly because, as you know, we're an industry that loses a lot of property managers every year. Massively, um, yep. I saw a stat that it was 30% throughout COVID um, of property managers that actually left the industry. Um, and, I look, I don't feel property management has to be a stressful job. Yes, it can be. But if you've got the right processes and procedures and support in place, yeah. It can actually be a very, very rewarding job. And I think you're absolutely right. And, and setting expectations up for everybody right at the very beginning, you know, letting your tenants know um, this is what's going to happen. If your rent is not paid on this day, this is what you need to expect from us. Yes. And this is, you know, if everybody's, if all the expectations for everything is set up at the beginning, it helps. It makes a yes. big difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I, you know, I really, I really wish Australia wide we had one set of rules. For, for property management 
for um, everything. Yeah, and I mean, I know that's you know that that's probably a a pipe dream. We just have to look at how each state handled COVID. They've got their own set of rules for everything, but you know, I, I think that would be something that would be very very beneficial to the industry. Anna from the Real Estate Institute of Australia, if you're watching this, we will speak about this um, another time. Yeah, because I just, I just, I feel that we're going to have a, a larger pool because, you know, what happens in Victoria, what happens in New South Wales, what happens to ACT, it's all completely different. Yeah. And it's really limited. Um, so I think if we could have it, and I think it's confusing for investors as well. Yeah, um, I agree. I think, um, I think, it all should be um, the same, the same rules and the same requirements. Um, I completely agree, and it is a conversation, in all seriousness, that we have had around the, the, yeah. you know, the board table at the Real Estate Institute of Australia, and it is a conversation that has been had in the past, and and hopefully it's one that we can, um, we can reinvigorate because I think it's important. Yeah, I, look, I agree. I hundred percent agree. All right, my friend, well, we've been chatting away here for over half an hour, so we um, we didn't even scratch the surface, but that's no. the way it is, right? We can uh, take it up again when we can do an event and, you know, have a have a glass of bubbles in our hand. Absolutely. So, thank always, you so much. Hey, it's always yeah. just a joy to catch up with you, so thank you so much for taking the time and good luck with everything that you're doing. I'm um, sure you're having okay. a great impact on those businesses you're working with and it's quite it's quite fun I get a real buzz out of it actually I get a lot of energy from it so it's um they give me just as much as I give them but um yeah if there's any of your listeners out there that you know they can reach out I'm available so how do um, they find you uh so probably kylie at realplus.com.au um or jump onto the real plus website my details are there um yeah or, or google me I, I've seen google me google me I'm everywhere yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but thank you so much it was really Fine. nice to chat Absolute pleasure. I'll talk to you very soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Courageous Conversations with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agency's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.